The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. You can be turning your Bibles, friends, this morning to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You have a moment to get there. I want to welcome you to New Covenant Community Church. This is God's house. This is his ministry. And we are but replaceable pieces that are thankful to be able to be here serving in this kind of way. Uh, for, we got a lot of visitors. You probably got the little gift that we gave you on the way in or the connect cards that you see under the seat. Uh, I would love to be able to connect with you. So if you'd love to fill that out and drop that in the offering plate as it goes by this morning, I would invite you to do that. And I hope that you are making plans, even if you've been at this church for a while. I hope you have a plan to be growing in knowledge of God's Word and to understand this Jesus that we know, love, and serve. I hope you have a plan of gathering together with small groups of believers as we do before service or other times throughout the week. I hope you've got a plan to be growing in this faith. It's time. It is time to certainly grow in this faith. So we have been preaching for the month of September about our vision, core values, purpose statement, whatever it is that you want to call it. We'll sometimes call them, and I sometimes reference them as the hills that we're dying on. And things that we are, have set in place that are written down, they're on our website, they're on documents. We have this to say, these are the things that we are striving after to keep a very clear vision. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no revelation or where there is no vision, depending on what your Bible translation is, the people cast, cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. So if, it's almost like if you think of a trailer and if you've ever hitched up a trailer before, there are those safety chains, two of them, one on each side of the trailer hitch, such that if you ever hit a bumpy road or if something ever breaks with the actual trailer hitch, you have those trailer chains connecting the trailer to the vehicle. And even though the road might get bumpy and some things might get jostled around a little bit, it will stay in the proper alignment because of these good, loving chains that God has put before us as a church. And I'd like to go over all of them with you now as we come down to the final concluding one, the first of which being, and we are ready for it, gentlemen, up there, going to the first one, New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. Say it with me, praise Jesus through worship and the Word. Next, please. We exist as a church, say it with me, to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. That word gospel, it's like that loving chain connecting the trailer to the vehicle we're not going to preach any other message we must stay in alignment to the gospel next please we exist as a church to say it with me practice holiness through new testament orders and ordinances this is what god has called us to do and we're going to stay steadfast in these things as we see them to be a good loving chain like a chain connecting a boat to an anchor in a storm and coming down finally to the last is to produce disciples marked by love and loyalty. Well, Pastor Ben, what does it mean for a disciple to be marked by this love and loyalty? 
If you remember last year, it was about a year ago when we first preached through these things and set these things in stone for us as a church, as a gathering of believers, to say that these are hills we're dying on. And when we got to this particular week, this particular produced disciples marked by love and loyalty as being a core value that we as a church are striving after, you'll remember that we used the Apostle John as a reference. We used the Apostle John as an example. And we know that he was a disciple. He was certainly marked by this love and loyalty. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 13, 20, and 21, among other places, he references himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as you read through that gospel, you'll see that even just physically close, he was always near Jesus. Whenever they were in a group together, John was always the one leaning against Jesus' shoulder, leaning against his chest. He was very close to Jesus and he knew the love that the Son of God had for him. He referenced himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that this love did something. It caused John to be a very loyal disciple. And we know this as you fast forward to John chapter 19 when it gets to the scene of the cross. Jesus is there doing the work to pay the sin for all of us even today and And the rest of the disciples had scattered. It almost gives you a picture that they're maybe peering from a distance. But we know for a fact that John was there standing by the cross. He was loyal. He knew the love that he had for the Savior. He knew that the love that the Savior had for him. And he was loyal. He was a disciple marked by this love and loyalty. But I believe it's important for us to not just see an example of this. It's vital as we see these things and preach through them at least yearly that we have a deeper understanding of these things each time that we preach them. We have John as an example. But what the Word of God gives us is it gives us an opportunity to be a fly on the wall, to have a fly on the wall perspective of a disciple that was marked by love and loyalty telling another disciple how to be that. It's a wonderful opportunity that we have. And we see this there in the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And just as a disclaimer that I'll give you now, Paul, whom God is using to write this text, is writing this to, speaking this to Timothy, and we know of Paul that he was a preacher, and we know of Timothy that he was also a preacher. But just so you know, the things that we'll be looking at today are not specific to a preacher, but a believer in general. So I hope you can see that and apply it accordingly. So in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, we simply have Paul's greeting, Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in verses 3 through 7, you have Paul referencing the faith of Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he was saying that to Timothy that he was convinced that this good faith that was inside of his grandmother and inside of his mother was inside of Timothy also. They had discipled Timothy very well. And then we get to verse 8, which is what I invite you to look at now. And in verse 8 is when we see Paul describing to Timothy, here is how you be, here's the things that you need to know to be this kind of disciple marked by this love and loyalty. So we can all pretend that we're flies on the wall this morning as we watch this transaction from this disciple to another that God in his mercy and grace and sovereignty has given for us this morning. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So Paul says to Timothy, here are some things that you need to know. Here's some things that you need to be aware of to be this well-developed disciple, this disciple marked by this love and this kind of loyalty. And there's a few things that I think we ought to take note of right out of the gate of this text, and then we'll break it down further. One of the things that I think we ought to see is that everything that Paul is saying here is antithetical. That's a big word for this redneck. It's antithetical to it being a cult. I'm sure you've probably heard it said before, as I have, that Christianity is fake. It's a cult. It was simply a made-up religion for the purpose of financial gain or political power. But when you read what the Bible says, it is completely opposite of anything that would help you do either of those things. So it's important for us to see that Paul is calling Timothy to share with him in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. It's antithetical to be a cult. It absolutely could not be. The other thing that we ought to notice is this is not Paul simply being overzealous for this mission that God has given him. This was simply a fulfillment of what Jesus had already said would happen. In Matthew chapter 10, 22 or Luke 21, 17, it records Jesus saying that you will be hated for my name's sake. For the sake of my name, Jesus says, you are going to be hated. And Paul's saying, and I'm experiencing that. And he's inviting Timothy to preach the gospel to the point that we see what Jesus said to be true. That people will hate you for the sake of his name. Not to be a jerk for Jesus. Not for the sake of just being hated, but for the sake of his name. Would call some of these things to happen. And Paul is inviting Timothy into this kind of suffering. And I'm sure you've noticed it if you've been a believer for any period of time, or perhaps you're a new believer, you've probably noticed it also, that the latter part of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century has really been in the church in America, and I'm sure other places as well, it has been basically a catastrophe because you see, you see the way that they try to gather people into the church. And the way that it's done is to make people as comfortable and feel good as possible even to the point you've probably seen these before it was popular a couple years ago prior to easter everybody does their promotions prior to easter and some churches were doing video walkthroughs of their church so that people would be as comfortable as possible and that bleeds in not just to someone visiting on Easter, but even through the preaching, even through the ministry from the pulpit, the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It's the goal has been of those eras to be to make people as comfortable and feel good as possible. And I just want to tell us this morning, church, that that notion, it is a lie from the absolute pit of hell. It is not ever supposed, and it's really no wonder why people would then think that Christianity is a cult, because much of it has become that. 
Much of it has become that about money and getting people to be happy and just giving and not causing trouble. It has become, it's not become the true church. It has become much what we would think of a cult to be in that you have the church of the late 20th century and early 21st century having this whole mission of comfort. And you have Paul over here saying, join with me in the suffering of the gospel. Different, isn't it? It's a little bit of a different picture that you see what people are doing and what you see Paul inviting Timothy into. And what it has caused, I hope you see this clearly, church, is it has, and this is the only term I can think of it because I grew up on a farm, it has neutered the church. And here's what I mean by that. It has taken a group of people who don't even know how to disciple another person like Paul did to invite them into suffering for the sake of the gospel, to be hated in the kind of way that Jesus said that we would be, because they've never experienced any kind of suffering before ever in their faith. They've maybe not even experienced discomfort. And that might, might make you feel bad, but I just want to remind you, dear precious child of God this morning, that if you're here and you're still alive, there is time for you to grow in this faith. There is time for you to become a discipler of young believers. Whether, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and you're an old person this morning and you think to yourself, man, I've never experienced any kind of this being hated for the sake of Jesus' namesake. You've never experienced any of those things. There's still time for you to be hated. Congratulations, church. It's, it's a good day for you to understand that you can continue on. There is still time for you. If, if God wanted you off this earth, you'd already been gone by now. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. And can I just tell you, I have been so encouraged this week because, like I was saying earlier, Jesus even being able to bring up worship out of stones. This notion of Paul inviting Timothy into this kind of thing, I, I, I am seeing this happening. I am seeing through the means of young people, and I'm talking like people in their late teens, early 20s that are walking into this by the Holy Spirit of God, drawing them into this proper discipleship place that is way different than what we've seen in the church, but it is absolutely biblical. There's a young man that called me whom I love dearly, and he's like a brother to me, and we'll just call his name Jake, for example, we'll just say his name was Jake. I'll leave his real name out. But Jake calls me and he was very distressed this week. And the reason Jake called me was because he has this friend who's not a believer. And this non-believing friend that Jake has was applying for this job who he wanted Jake to be a reference for. So Jake gets whatever was in the email or the mail to fill out the reference for his friend for this job. And, and I don't even know what kind of job it was, from, but from what I understand, it had something to do with security. It was a high-ranking kind of job. It was very important. And there was a particular question that Jake had to fill out in reference to his friend of whether or not this friend had ever partaken of particular activities. I don't really know what that was. I didn't ask the details of it, but I'm guessing it had to do something with drugs and alcohol. To which my friend, Jake, who knows the Lord, trusts the Lord, he answers honestly. He answers it honestly. And then when the interviewers of Jake's friend see this, they then ask the friend about this particular thing, and the friend lies. And it costs him the opportunity to get the job. And then he calls Jake, uh, calls Jake on the phone and he cusses at him on the phone. And my friend Jake was saying, I, Pastor, I just need to know that I was doing the right thing. And I said, yes, you did. 
kid. Good going, man. You passed the test. You did the right thing. That friend of yours is not interacting with some cult. He's not interacting with some kind of false religion. He's interacting with you whose heart has been changed by the love of God and redeemed. And for his namesake, you got cussed at. Glory to God that that happened. Glory to God that you know, you now know, young sir, you know how to call another disciple to get cussed at on the phone too because you've experienced it. You've been hated for the sake of his name. You weren't trying to be a jerk when you wrote down what was true on that report. You, you're a truth teller because the one you worship and love is a truth teller also. And for the sake of his name, you experienced a taste of persecution. Way to go, man. You passed the test. Awesome. Awesome. So I just believe, church, that if we could invite if Paul the Apostle was somehow present with us this morning and we could give him the microphone and say, Paul, is this a good thing for us to be positioned as a church to produce these kinds of disciples like you were trying to do with Timothy, to produce these disciples marked by this love and loyalty? I think he would say that is an awesome vision. That's an awesome core value. Don't forget, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't forget to share in the sufferings. It's not a bad thing to share in those sufferings when it's for the sake of the name of the one who saved us. Someone say amen. I'm preaching this morning. You're getting your money's worth today. So let's just hold on here. Keep your Bibles in your hand. All right. So, dear friends, this morning, as we disciple believers, don't invite them into a cult. Invite them into what's true. And we're not look, going around looking to be hated. We're going around looking to do things for the sake of his name. And if we're hated for it, Jesus said that would happen. And Paul invited Timothy into it. So that's all right. But let's not forget here, look continuing on here in verse 8 once again I don't want us to miss the motivation for this why does what's the reasoning of why we why Paul would invite Timothy into this kind of thing therefore do not be ashamed this is in verse 8 do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of his me his prisoner but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God verse 9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So you want to know what the motivation is for being a disciple marked by this kind of love and loyalty and seeing that we ought to experience these things. We ought to show others the experience we've had to guide them in these things. Don't show them a fake, phony cult. Show them what the true faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ out of the Word of God. And as we do it, Paul says, the motivation, Timothy, for you and being invited into this kind of suffering is that you don't forget what God has already done. You don't forget that He has redeemed your soul. You don't forget that it was not according to your plan or your works. This is God's agenda. It's His plan and purpose is to call you to preach this gospel. It's according not to your works, but to His grace that has saved you from before time even began. Before Genesis 1-1 ever happened, there was a plan for the salvation that we are participants of for all of those who have repented of sin and know the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we face persecution, as we go about seeking to do things for the sake of his name and not shirking away from the potential persecution that comes from that, Paul even says inviting Timothy into it. Don't forget that God has, he's got you. 
He has totally got you. I mentioned a few months ago, and I've mentioned him a couple times, the pastor from Canada named Artur Pulowski. He was the guy the video went around on social media of him kicking out the authorities in Canada from his church because they were there illegally trying to shut down his church because of whatever protocols that they were breaking, gathering as the church. And you probably know about him. You may have heard recently he was actually in America, and he was touring around to different churches and preaching. And people were offering him jobs left and right, like every church that he would preach, and they would offer him to give him a home and give him a job and a way to support his family and all these things. And, and he refused. And the reason he refused, and he wants to go back, he absolutely wants to go back to Canada where he's very likely facing six years in prison. Why would a man do that? Why would a man, when he could have a cushy life here in America, choose to go back where he knows he's, he's very likely going to be imprisoned for not shutting down the church and obeying the word of God. Why would a man do something like that? I think that maybe just perhaps in being a disciple that was marked by love and loyalty, he remembered that his redemption is set. It is absolutely set. And just like that young man that I gave you the reference of a moment ago, when he goes and is imprisoned for his faith, people, believers, you and I, even non-believers, they're not being impacted when they hear that story from some phony, fake, false religion. They're being impacted by a man that has been redeemed by a true Savior. And he knows that, and it's for that purpose that he's going to go and allow himself to be imprisoned so that you and I can be encouraged today. So let's take heart and let's follow in those footsteps. He wasn't trying to do anything. He wasn't trying to get in trouble. He just wanted to preach the gospel. And for that purpose, they hated him for the sake of Christ's name. He was hated. For the sake of God's word, he was hated. And Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel, the testimony of our Lord, nor of those who are in chains, nor of the ones who are prisoners because of what the governing authorities of the day would have done. So if you know you're hearing the truth of God's word today, say amen. Paul is calling Timothy into this discipleship of not being ashamed, to be ready to suffer for the sake of Christ's name, and to be motivated by the particular things that we looked at. Now if you would, look to verse 13. Where we read and it says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It's your job to prepare someone for a journey, you very likely would tell them up front some of the things that they could expect, and then once you knew that they were excuse me, once you knew that they were going to go on this journey, you would put some things in their hands that would help them on this journey. And we see Paul doing the exact same things. He says to Timothy, you're going to be hated for the sake of Christ's name. Join with me. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of even his prisoners. I invite you to join with me in this suffering for the gospel's sake. He gave them the disclaimers up front, and then he put some things in Timothy's hands. And the things that we see are there in verse 13 and 14 that we just read. Hold fast. Someone say, hold fast. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That word hold fast is the Greek word apecho or apako. And it simply means to cling to. 
to cling very tightly to the word of God, the thing, the good word of doctrine that Paul had imparted to Timothy, he says, cling to it. Don't let it go. You need to hold this tight in the journey ahead. And you say, well, why would Paul be so adamant about telling Timothy that? And why should we, as we are discipling young believers, teach them how to cling tight to the word of God in that kind of way? And I believe that we see the answer in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, where Paul says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. In other words, hold tight to the word of God. Hold tight to that good thing which was entrusted to you, this pattern of sound words, Paul says to Timothy. Hold tight to that thing. Why? For the time will come when they, someone say they, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they shall they, because they, having itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now let me just expound for a moment on this they. Which I believe is the very reason that Paul wanted Timothy to know to t cling tight to the pattern of sound words, the sound doctrine that Paul had imparted to Timothy to hold tight to that. It's because this they that Paul's referencing is not the people flying up and down 62 right now that don't give a hoot about Christ or his word. The they that Paul's referencing were not the people out on the street from wherever Timothy was that know nothing of the gospel, they don't care about God, they just love their sin. That's not the they referenced here. The they that is referenced here are people that are wanting teachers. These are people that began inside the church. These are people inside of what people would consider the church. It will be that group of people that will heap up for themselves teachers that will just tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. Paul says you need to cling tight to the word of God for the purpose of the time that is coming which we are in today, church, that, the, that there will be people inside the fellowship of believers that are not true believers, but they are, they are bound and determined to find someone who will tell them the things that they want to hear. And, and we see that all around us. And, and, and I, I've experienced that at least to a little bit. And boy, is that a discouraging thing. But is that a troubling thing? Is that a difficult thing when there are people that you thought were believers that then turn away from the Word of God and they just want to go to someone that will tickle the ears? There are stadiums full right now on a Sunday morning of people listening to those kinds of false prophets, those kind of false preachers. Verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4 but you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So church, as we produce disciples marked by this kind of love and loyalty in today's world, we're teaching them that it's okay for the sake of Christ's name to endure persecution. Jesus said that was going to happen. And if you've never even been made uncomfortable for the sake of his name, you should absolutely question whether you're even a believer or an obedient one. It is good cause to look into the mirror of God's word and evaluate that thing very seriously. The idea that, that you would have a Christian that did not suffer persecution for the sake of Christ's name was unheard of in the New Testament church. It was completely unheard of. It was synonymous to do things for the sake of Christ's name and to be hated for it. They went hand in hand like a hand in a glove. They went together. 
We teach people that. This is not about our comfort. It's never been about that, or at least supposed to have been about that. This is about the gospel, the only message, the absolute only message that can save someone from sin. It's about preaching that message. It's about, it's about telling the truth on the reference form, even if it means one of your really close friends is going to cuss you out on the phone. Join in Paul with Paul, he says to Timothy, for the sake of this gospel. This is how we instruct people. This is how we produce a disciple like John, marked by this love and loyalty. And for the love of all things good and decent, we teach them to cling tightly, so tightly for the word of God, because perilous days are coming and they are indeed here. So that was the first thing that we see Paul putting in the hand of Timothy. Now look back to verse 14. That good thing, Paul says, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So you say, okay, what is this good thing that Paul is referencing? Given that verse 14 comes right after verse 13 and Paul's referencing these sound words, it sounds to me like this good thing that is being referenced is Timothy's calling, is the word of God that Paul has instructed Timothy in these sound words, the sound doctrine. And he's saying, you've got to cling tightly to it, and then you need to keep it. The way that you keep staying power, holding on to it very tightly, is through the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, listen to me carefully. The church today needs the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say that again because some of you missed your opportunity to say amen. The church in America today, and even more specifically, this church in Johnstown, Ohio, needs and yes, even desperately needs the Holy Spirit of God. And let me tell you why. John 16, 12. Jesus says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. So not only are we clinging tightly to this word, but we have the Holy Spirit whom we rely on desperately as an absolute means of being able to continue holding on to it tightly, as being led and the word being illumined to us so that it's not become a dead thing to us, but that it is living, breathing, sharper than any other over the two-edged sword, that we can see it become true through the means of the Holy Spirit. We need to cling tightly to it, and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth in it to make it true, to make it a light, to illuminate it to our hearts so that we can see it and see it clearly. Somebody say amen. Amen. Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God, church. And when we wake up tomorrow on Monday morning, we need filled with the Spirit big time on Monday morning. And we need to be filled with the Spirit on Tuesday morning. Why? So that we can cling tightly to these sound words, these sound doctrine, the Word of God itself, that we can cling tightly. It's absolutely vital. So, we ourselves and we are to instruct people to not be ashamed of the gospel, to share in the suffering of it, just as Christ said would happen. Don't forget the motivation as to why. Because we're not to fear the one who can kill the body and do no more, but fear him who can kill both body and soul and destroy them both in hell. We're to fear that one, and that one, that judge, is also the same God who has forgiven and redeemed us. We're not to forget that motivation. And as we progress forward, we're to hold fast to his word and to keep it through means of the Holy Spirit. If you're tracking with me, say amen. Two more things that we'll cover. Both of them are vital. 
and we'll be done before too long. Verse 15. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So one note that we simply must see here that's vitally important that we see, and then we'll move on to the main point that Paul is obviously preaching, but there's an underlying one that is also made very clear, because I have caught flack, thankfully, from no one here, but I've caught flack as a pastor for outlining people by name that I believe very clearly have gone astray from preaching a biblical gospel. People like Joel Osteen or people like Andy Stanley, who very clearly departed from the kind of preaching that his father did and still doing and over the radio and all the rest. And, and I've gotten flack for that, but it's very clear that when there are people, Paul makes it very clear, when there are those who have hindered the gospel, who have turned away, that there is a place to outline those people by name. I'm not letting my kids grow up watching Joel Osteen because they're not going to hear the gospel. They're not going to hear that their sins need to be atoned for and that Christ is the only way to have sins atoned for. I'm not going to let that guy in my household. He needs redemption. That guy needs to be drawn to the Holy Spirit. That guy needs to repent. Think of the platform he'd have for about five minutes if he actually got saved and preached a true gospel. Somebody say amen. It would be awesome if Andy Stanley would repent of his unbiblical doctrine that he has built. He needs to turn from his prideful ways, trust alone in the Savior, humble himself before God so that he could be exalted as a true gospel preacher but I digress let's go back to the point what Paul is communicating to Timothy is and it's kind of profound when you think about it, he says all of those in Asia have turned away from me the whole church in the largest continent of the world and I don't know how many believers that would have represented at the time but but what Paul's making very clear here to Timothy is they've all left me Phygelus and Hermogenes are of them that have left. He only mentions this Onesiphorus character that was kind to Paul that Paul was praying for. But what Paul is communicating to Timothy very clearly is you need to be okay with being a minority. Be okay with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. Be cool with being on the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are a few who find it. But be cool with being on the narrow path. Be cool with swimming up the stream. Going against the grain. Listen to me church, if, if you are living for the sake of his name and in light of his name and all that he's done, people are going to think you're crazy. Good. Like that's fine. It's fine that people think you're nuts when you answer honestly on the report that you're doing for your friend. That's fine. That's good. Someone didn't interact with a phony false religion. They interacted with a true believer who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's awesome that they get hit up the side of the head with truth and not this phony nonsense that is rampant of this out of the pit of hell belief that churches for our comfort and feel good. We've not preached the end of the disciples' lives enough to know that they all, with the exclusion of John, who was used later to write the book of Revelation, that, that they died horrific deaths. They shared in the suffering with Paul. 
big time, and the church exploded because of it. We have valued our own lives over that of the true gospel. So be okay. Uh, My kids are not going to go with the crowd. I have no intention of them being popular. If they're super popular and everyone just loves them outside the church, that's probably a really, really big issue. That's probably indicative of something totally, totally off in my parenting. Totally off in my discipling of my children. Young parents, and we've got a lot of families in here, and there's a lot of pregnant people in the church too. So our kids are going to be looked at as weird for believing in Jesus. That's fine. Let us show them that it's okay to be on the narrow path, and yes, indeed, best to be on the narrow path. We don't, need to, we don't need the affirmation of others. Have we forgotten that the king of heaven has redeemed us? If you believe that's enough, say amen. Do not be ashamed, Paul says. Share in the suffering. Don't forget the motivation. Hold fast the word, the good thing that was imparted to you. Keep it through the Holy Spirit and be okay with being the minority. And finally, we come to chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I heard a funny story of a group of deacons that began praying for their church, and God began to bring and save people inside of the church. So you had inside this church that had grown rapidly a group of people that were mature believers and a whole bunch of others that were brand new Christians. And as these mature believers, these deacons were getting together to pray, one of the deacons prays and says, Lord, we ask for your hand to touch these new believers that they might mature in the faith and replicate themselves into other people to disciple others also. And after a couple moments of silence, one of the other deacons said, Gentlemen, I think because of what God's Word says about discipleship, I think we are that hand. I think we are the ones that are to be the hand of God that touches these people. Not that they're God. They're not God at all. They're the vessels through which God works to bring it about that we could replicate others in these things. Paul's wish for Timothy was that he could replicate. Teach these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You've heard churches say before, make disciples who will make disciples. Who will make disciples. Who will make disciples. Who will make disciples. If you understand, say yes. So I've got a question for you. Who are you working on? Who are you investing in? Who are you praying for? Who are you showing the word of God? Who are you discipling? Are you discipling anyone? Are you showing people how to be a disciple? Are you producing disciples marked by this love and loyalty? It is the call of God. Many of us have been hindered, greatly hindered from the lie that was prevalent In the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, that church is about your comfort, church is about the warm fuzzies, church is about the goosebumps. It's not. It's not about those things. This is about the gospel, the only message that can save, and us being faithful in that. So, if we suffer for the sake of Jesus' name, good. It will preach the gospel like nothing else will. Good. 
Am I happy for the pain that my friend endured for having this non-believing friend that he had turn against him and cuss him out on the phone? I'm not happy for the pain, but I'm happy that the gospel was preached to that guy in a meaningful, potent way that nothing else would have. It was awesome that he shared in that. And now he's going to be able to replicate in that to another person saying, when you do things for the sake of Jesus' name, it's okay when you get cussed out. You, you were honest because you're God, the one you serve. He's a truth teller and he commands us to be a truth teller on the job reference form also. It's awesome that he could experience that and now show others. And many of us have not even experienced discomfort for the sake of the gospel. Let us march with our wide eyes wide open. Let us see this for what it is. If you've not been living for the sake of Christ's name and you're a believer, begin today, saint of God. Begin today, church. Begin today to operate your life in every avenue, in every facet, for the sake of His name. It'll be about five minutes before somebody hates you for it. Good. Not because we want to offend. That's not the goal. But because we do want the only message that can save their soul from eternal destruction to be saved in the only way possible, which is Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? In James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Dear friends, this morning I am here to tell you that there is a spark inside of this church among the young people that have begun to be doers and not hearers. The church for too long has been the sleeping giant that has only been hearing and it's not gotten up to do anything. So hold on. Wake up. Stand up and be strong. Live your life for the sake of Christ's name. You will be hated, it will be worth it, and your life will preach the gospel in a way that only this joining in the suffering for the cause of the gospel can. If you came here just to have a feel-good sermon and to go home and just feel so wonderful, you came to the wrong place. But if you came to put some battle armor on this morning, somebody say amen. If you, if you came because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ, that people are lost without Him, if you believe that in your soul and you know it to be true that His blood has forgiven and redeemed you, if you believe that, you came to the right place because we're positioning ourselves together as a church not to be trendy, not to be cool, not to have all, but, but to show people this, to show people the gospel that people go from death to life. That's the goal, church. And if my body suffers for it, if my emotions suffer for it, if my family suffers for it so that the gospel can go forth, bring it. And I hope you're with me. Father in heaven, we need your Holy Spirit to show us how to cling tightly to your word, Lord. The church has left it. We have been asleep. We have been hearers and not doers. Lord, help us as we stand up to do these things. Father, if we believe, if we have believed in your grace and your overwhelming, undeserved mercy, then we must position our lives so that we can be a vehicle that you would use for this redemption that you have purchased. Father, forgive us for loving comfort. 
and idolizing comfort and worshiping ourselves. Forgive us of that. Make us right in this, Lord. Make us a church that would produce at the cost of our comfort, at the cost of our likability, at the cost of our being influential in the secular workplace, at the cost of anything, Lord, make us a church that would produce disciples marked by love and loyalty. In Jesus' mighty name, and all the church says, if you do not know this gospel, and this man named Jesus who you've now heard can forgive you of your sin that you must repent of. You must let go of sin to receive the free gift that he has purchased. Please do not leave this place until I've had an opportunity to pray for you. I believe that there are people in this church whom God's Holy Spirit is tugging on their heart and saying he, he's drawing you. His word is being made known to you this morning as your heart is being drawn. You need to repent you must drop your sin, let it go, leave it to trust and follow Jesus. He is the only way that your soul can be saved. And you must be saved. Let's worship together.